Hello, and welcome to Movies We Dig, the podcast about movies, ancient history, archaeology, and everything in between. I'm Colin McCormick. And I'm Elijah Fleming. We're two nerdy academics who research and teach on a variety of topics concerning ancient Greece and Rome. In addition to being professional nerds, we're also film nerds. We love movies, especially ones about our field, and we love talking about them even more. But we're not about criticizing movies for lack of historical accuracy or anything like that. Rather, we're talking about how these movies incorporate things like history, myth, and archaeology, and how it works or doesn't work. Yeah. And one day, we're going to get there, but like we're going to eventually get the like seamless automatic like rattle off the intro without even thinking about it boom like like launch into like a conversation like some podcasts they'll get into like a 10 minute conversation hole and they're like oh yeah let's do the intro (laughs) but yeah so today we'll be talking about immortals directed by tarzan singh a 2011 action adventure film loosely based on a collection of greek myths so regular question we always start out with eli what's your sort of experience with this movie and how did you first see it what was it like on review and do you dig this film i i don't dig this film i don't think this film confuses me so much but i think it might be partially because i did first see it again like clash of the titans on an airplane (laughs) (laughs) and i remember that the plane landed before the movie ended so my first watch through of this movie I did not see the end mm-hmm. and so I was kind of excited upon a rewatch and it just sort of ended it was I I was yeah. so confused throughout the whole movie so no I don't think I can say that I dig this movie <laughs> yeah I think thinking about it I think I've seen this movie exactly twice once was in theaters because I think I, yeah I was living with a, a group of guys in this kind of rinky dink house uh in, in when I was in college it was that classic, like, like decrepit shack with a, with too many dudes living in it. Naturally. And then, yeah, and then I, we saw it in theaters, and I remember we didn't like it. And I remember there was a particular scene that, for me, like, broke the movie or, like, just kind of made me tune out, which we'll get to in a minute. But then I saw it again, and I, I remembered this movie fairly well. But the sort of more I was thinking about this movie, and I read – or I, not read. I, I was watching some interviews with, with the director – uh, and I kind of like, there's like things about this movie I find very interesting, but I would say I don't dig the movie. Like there's a, like my kind of, my, my first note that I have in here is that nothing kind of, nothing makes any goddamn sense. No, at all. I, I almost wanted this movie to just be a fantasy story that like wasn't trying to connect to any sort of Greek source or Greek myth. Like I would have been almost better if it was weirder <laughs> it would have yeah. like gone farther mm-hmm. because it it didn't work there was no connective tissue between anything yeah. that happened <laughs> and i think like we're gonna pray because this movie came out shortly after clash of the titans and in some ways they're kind of very different like in some ways clash of the titans is like more of a kind of traditional approach to like a myth movie or a sword and sandal movie like it falls into a pretty well-established tradition like going back to like the 1960s jason and the argonauts and then the 1980s clash of the titans like and those are pretty like the look and feel of the movie and it and this is very different from from those it's a very kind of different movie but at the same time i think this and clash of the titans kind of suffer from a lot of the same problems Mm -hmm. so the first kind of item on my docket the thing to talk most about this movie is just the visual 
style and, and the storytelling style and the whole like design of this movie. So the visual style, I don't automatically dislike. Mm-hmm. I think there are some really beautiful shots in this movie. The colors are very strange and sort of ethereal. But what did the director say? It's something like it's a Caravaggio, but Fight Club or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and 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 so yeah, I was reminded. I didn't realize. I think when I first saw this movie, but upon review, it makes complete sense because I haven't seen his first movie, The Cell. But Tarson Singh's sort of other movie, which we might call a breakout, but I remember liking a lot, was The Fall, which has a very similar, very yeah. striking visual style. Yes, but the and I did not realize that even when I rewatched this and Nick when he he watched it with me and he said this reminds me of The Fall. And so I looked it up and I was like, holy shit, it's the same director. Yeah. But I remember really liking The Fall. I think The Fall was a really good movie. It's been a while since I've seen it. and it, I, But I remember it, I was really struck by just the imaginative visuals and that it was kind of fantasy. But it was almost like, almost kind of like a Dali painting or something like that. Yeah. There was these really striking, like the colors and the imagery and the costumes. And they were sort of ridiculous in some ways, but they were very arresting. Yes. And there's a similar thing going on here. But also I kind of, well, like you said, like he, in an interview, the director was talking about that he didn't want to do it in the style, say like the way Greeks viewed themselves or like, like a Greek style. He actually kind of describes sort of Greek art as almost kind of cartoony, which not I think wrong. is actually kind of fair. Yeah, not yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah, because like if, if, you know, when you look at sort of reconstructions of Greek art, particularly like sculptures, it's very, very, like the Stylized. first reaction people have when they see reconstructed regard is that it's kind of gaudy yeah it's like very very bright colors and very sort of clashing almost and he said he wanted it to sort of tarsum singh wanted to make it more like like a renaissance painting like in the style of like the way the renaissance artists viewed the ancient greeks which was sort of anachronistic but very impressionistic and i think that tracks because there's like there's that one scene that was sort of in the trailer but and then didn't really make it until the very very end of the movie but it looks like the Sistine Chapel almost like come to life because yeah. it's yeah. like they're all in the sky and they're like <laughs> there's you know, this battle in the sky and everyone's got these like drapery that's flying all over the place, which is like a it's cool image. Kind of cool, and I wanted more of that mm-hmm. um, because I think what worked about the fall was that there was the like normal storyline of like real people and mm-hmm. the fantastical visuals were in the girl's head. I yeah. think the little girl, it's like the story that he was telling and she was imagining mm-hmm. it. And that, I mean, that works in a certain way, but this is like all in somebody's head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it should have been more. Like I wanted it to be, if it's going to be this weird, it needs to be really, really weird. <laughs> yeah, like really, I almost, I almost wonder how much of that was the director and how much if there was I, I don't actually know but if there was like studio pressure that like the studio execs were like we just kind of wanted like a bankable uh, you know action adventure movie like and yeah. you gave us like you gave us the melty clocks painting right <laughs> well that's certainly what i think obviously this movie suffers from a lack of plot mm-hmm. yeah i really feel like they started with some sort of storyboard or like photography imagery and then we're like, how do we get these characters in this position? Yeah. And they wrote yeah. the script backwards. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. And, and actually, when when I was watching an interview, when Henry Cavill signed on, there wasn't even a script. 
there oh was, my gosh. they had filmed one scene and they didn't have a script yet. And there are all these changes we can talk about later, but like one of the, like originally Henry Cavill was going to be a prince or like a noble, like sort of like in the Theseus myth where he's like the king's son. And then right. that changed later on. So like, yeah, it seemed like it was kind of written in reverse. And I'm also sort of reminded of, because we talked about in the 300 episode that one of the, a criticism you could, I think, fairly levy against Zack Snyder is that there's a lot of sort of style over substance mm-hmm. that he gets these great sort of painter painterly shots, but it's all about, I think I saw one critic describe it as he has sort of moments, but not scenes where they like, there's like cool looking imagery, but there's nothing sort of underlying it. It just sort of looks cool and it stops and starts there. Yeah, that's certainly how I feel about a lot of immortals but then yeah there's the other yeah there's the things like i think there's like interesting things about this movie that the movie itself kind of undercuts and like for example like we're in this sort of that that the timeless fantastic i'm just going to keep coming back to salvador dali but like that surrealist or even like renaissance baroque feel of this movie is constantly for me kind of undercut by constant sort of weird points of specificity like the beginning of the movie says it takes place in 1228 bc yeah there's no reason for that yeah like what no (laughs) why give a date at all because like like and like why such a specific date like it makes sense if he did that in a movie like troy which is basically trying to pass off the iliad as history but in this movie which is supposed to be kind of like a surreal fantasy thing why say that it took because it's obviously not take, taking place in Greece as we know it because their vision of Greece no. is like thousands just completely flat barren wastelands that end in like what 200 <laughs> foot cliffs straight into the ocean yeah well it looks like some sort of futuristic hellscape yeah or something it doesn't look like real life which I guess sort of plays into that surrealist thing but yeah then we absolutely do not need to say that it's 1228 we do not even need to say that it's greece yeah (laughs) they also mentioned things like they say it's like the kolpos peninsula which took me a while i was like being dumb i'm like is this a real place i'm like no kolpos in greek just means like bay it means like bosom or lap but yeah it's like bay peninsula that's what you named that place but it's sort of acting like it's a real place. Also, I think just on, just on the style, like I don't think there's a single growing plant in this movie. No, there's everything no... looks futuristic and dead and mm-hmm. scary. Yeah. But yeah, I think sort of on the, just the wastelandness, there are no like spatial relationships between where the characters go. Mm-hmm. It's like there is supposedly like Theseus's village, but it is a cliff face. Yeah. And then they go to. A temple? Specifically the the Sibylline Oracle. Yeah, but it's like in a flat desert? Yeah, I, it's uh, it's in like an art house project. It's it's in like a uh I don't know, like a like a it was designed by like Frank Lloyd Wright or like it was like it looks like like you would have a bunch of Rothkos on the inside of that place. Which I mean, it's kinda cool, but like mm-hmm. uh yeah, where? And then why? Also like yeah, then there's also Mount Tartarus. Which, uh, which we can talk. So funny. <laughs> yeah, which is like apparently the gateway to all of Greece. Like nothing makes sort of any sense. No. And then there's a little bits like there. There's and we've mentioned this before about the sort of like like sort of reimposing that there's some kind of nation that is Greece at mm-hmm. a time. Like we talked a little bit about it in Troy, where they're like trying to form the nation of Greece and, and in Alexander, and then in 300. But 
I mean, in this, it's it's totally weirder because they describe him as the the Hellenics, which is just kind of strange. And then the enemies yeah. are the Heraklians. Yeah, which are I mean, I assume like Heraklion on Crete, right? Yeah, is that that's like that's where what we're... I followed. <laughs> that's what I thought. Like so, they're supposed to be Cretans or something. Uh, but like technically, also speak Greek. Yeah, I, I don't I, know. I suppose maybe it's like a reference to so in. The Theseus myth, and I guess we can talk a little bit about the Theseus myth, and why Theseus is kind of an interesting character for this, but the Theseus myth is, is, and I think that you can, and, and even the ancients did this themselves, read it as this historical allegory for, mm-hmm. at one point, the sort of Crete island was ruled by, I guess, well, maybe even the Minoans, but the Crete used to be this sort of big naval power in the Aegean or the Eastern Mediterranean, and then eventually their star fell and Athens's star rose. And this is, again, not quite, I'm sort of compressing a lot of history, but that's sort of the way that that myth got, (laughs) I'm being very sort of ahistorical, but but that's a way that that myth can be read as like Athens's, Theseus's triumph over the Minotaur is kind of a metaphor for Athens's triumph in the sort of Aegean, because Theseus is actually among heroes. He's kind of interesting that his significance is sort of almost overrepresented because he was a very important hero for the city of Athens. And because we have so much, Athens had sort of exerted so much kind of cultural influence in the Greek world and particularly our reception of the Greek world that Theseus has a sort of, he becomes a much bigger hero as a result of Athens than he might've been otherwise. Otherwise. Yeah. Well, I mean, similar to Perseus and I think really any hero that's not Homeric like in ancient texts, he's pretty boring. Yeah. Like he doesn't really have a personality. And I think this movie suffers from the same thing. If you're trying to give a Greek hero the main character protagonist spot, that like takes up all of his personality. He's just protagonist. Yeah. Yeah. Let's 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 talk about let's talk about Theseus in this this movie. Cause you're right. I think he like one of the things I wrote about him and that you basically just said out loud is like there's no arc. For Theseus. He, he doesn't, as far as I can tell, change in any significant way. He's sort of brave and strong in the beginning of the movie. And he's brave and strong in the end. And yeah, he has that kind of, I think back about the, I don't know if you ever seen the, the, the sort of red letter media critique of the Phantom Menace where like the, the litmus yes. test is, can you describe this character without describing what they wear or what their job is or who yep. plays them or something like that. And then I think Theseus fails that test. Cause you'd be like, he's shredded. Like, <laughs> I feel like they wanted maybe him to be like some sort of defender of the week, mm-hmm. which gave me very like Superman vibes before Superman. Well, he right? was Henry Cavill was, I think cast as Superman either like during this filming or right after it came out. Like, Okay. This film is kind of, there's like the shadow over this film because Henry Cavill, very close to it or during it, is cast as Superman. Right, right. Okay. But just sort of like being super strong and feeling an obligation to protect others is mm-hmm. not a personality. <laughs> yeah. And, and actually, so the, again, like the interviews with Tar, uh, Tarsim Singh and Henry, and Henry Cavill, or is it Cavill? I say Cavill. I don't I think know it's Cavill. What- Uh, Let me go back. Henry Cavill. Talk about sort of Greek gods and Greek heroes as sort of the original superhero film. Because I guess, yeah, in 2011 also, Marvel's star is 
going on the uprise. rise. I'm not sure if we had the Avengers yet, but we're about to. I think we're a year yep. out from Avengers. And then, mm-hmm. you know, 2012, because we've had a Iron Man's and some Thor's. Right. But, like, the, the Marvel train is about to sort of, or the Marvel rocket ship is about to take off full flight. And then superhero yeah. films are going to just dominate pop culture and, and movies for the next decade. Yeah. And, and yeah, like, there is a bit of, like, he's sort of an action, or he's sort of a comic book hero. He, yeah. there's a, there was a decision, there was an active decision by the direct, in the writing and directing that they wanted Originally, like originally in the original script, Theseus was the king's son, which is pretty, which is not just sort of true to the Theseus myth, but pretty much all Greek heroes are either a com- either noble or divine or both. There's some common in their yep. demigods or they're, they're related to kings. They're sort of people of import usually. Mm-hmm. And then there was a decision that Theseus was just going to be like some peasant. The word actually uh, Singh uses in interviews is he says untouchable. That Theseus' mother, that he's a bastard son and he, his mother was raped and he's just sort of undesirable. So that's why there's those themes of like he's got to wait in the back with the other right. peasants or whoever. And that the idea that Theseus was supposed to be some kind of everyman. But then again, like another instance of this movie, I think kind of cutting against itself. And Singh talks about he like he really doesn't like chosen one narratives. He thinks they're sort of boring, which I, I'm sort of in agreement with him. Sure. I'm not sure if it was Jake or Ron, but someone said, I think in relation to Harry Potter, about chosen one narratives is that they're simultaneously very easy and very hard to write. Like, it's mm. easy to, like, say your character is important because they're the chosen one, but then you got to, like, justify them being the chosen one and right. be original, mm. which I think is the real difficulty. Sure. But, I mean, Theseus is the chosen one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly because he's being he basically seems to have been handpicked by Zeus and trained by Zeus from infancy and Zeus is like yeah. this guy is going to save all the not the Greeks the Hellenics uh, which isn't even yeah. not to quibble but like it would be Hellenes anyways but I'm like all right I'll I'll take my pedantry <laughs> elsewhere But yeah it's like if you can't say that you're not you don't like chosen one you know narratives and then make one like mm-hmm. that's uh <laughs> that strikes me the wrong way i guess yeah theseus seems to be he's in and, and also even with the oracle he's like destined yeah like he's he's not the chosen one in the sense that he's not of noble or divine birth although i, the, I was sort of getting a vibe that maybe he was for for him for a minute in this movie yeah it's like is he the son of somebody yeah i was for for like a hot minute i was kind of under the impression that he might have actually been zeus's son mm-hmm. or something like that but that, that the movie says that's not the case but yeah but he also but he there's like a prophecy about him apparently and like zeus knows that he's gonna save the hellenes or does he know which leads me to sort of my next this is this is our, our big sticking point with clash of the titans which is this, the movie's yeah. confusion about the gods and I think mm-hmm. this movie has a, like, again, similar but different problem with the gods. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just that there's, there doesn't seem to be any rules, but there there are rules, but they're not followed. Again, yeah, there, there's like, I, like, in Clash of the Titans, the rules were unclear because it was unclear of like, first of all, it was very unclear that Zeus ever loved humans in Clash of the Titans and why he needs their prayers and then why people do or do not follow. Because it seems like in the world of Clash of the Titans, there's no reason why you wouldn't pray to the gods because it seems like if you don't, they'll show up and zap everybody in a giant tornado or Hades will turn into furies and and eat you or something. (laughs) Like there seems to be a huge incentive that you, I mean, which I guess is incentive to rebel, but they're also like, there seems to be incentive to to worship them. And I think this movie is actually dealing with kind of almost the opposite because 
the director has talked about that the kind of the the issue is like this movie sort of out of faith, which is again sort of a pretty you know, and then I think this isn't a prop. This isn't a sort of flaw of the movie. It's like it's a more sort of anachronistic, very kind of Judeo-Christian. I mean, of many world religions, but the idea of like kind of the idea is like if there are gods, why does like bad? Why do bad things happen? Right. And this movie's answer seems to have to be about free will. That man can only show their true nature if they like are unsure about whether or not the gods are there. Right. Or like it's like either fear of punishment or like a positive hope for salvation. Yeah. And the ancient, I mean, ancient communities like Romans as well did not have a concept of salvation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the afterworld was the like was afterlife and that's sort of the end there's like certain Mm -hmm. think punishments for like super bad people but your everyday joe greek is kind of you know be in the same place in the afterlife Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah yeah and so this like whereas clash of the titans i think sort of like introduces the uh, this this idea of like we shouldn't follow the gods because they suck and they're basically tyrants which again it doesn't really follow through or pay out in a meaningful way because that central conflict is never really resolved and is just sort of diverted. And then we just get a different ending that doesn't really attest to it. And I think this movie does kind of the same thing where it's like, there's the, the gods have this, the, the gods seem to have this arbitrary rule that Zeus sets up of no intervention. And is there, does he ever say like, why? I think he, he like says that they need their own free will. Like yeah, because well, I think he says care. like they need to do it themselves is like basically Zeus's premise. But then the, again, like the ending, I think undercuts that because they don't do it themselves. Not they at all. Don't, it's not like the humans sort of rise up and just defeat Mickey Rourke or the army. Like what happens is like the humans fail. Mickey Rourke lets the Titans out. Then the gods, like once, I guess once the Titans are out, then the gods say like, okay, all bets are off. We can come down and, and, and do stuff. And then Zeus, like, well, they defeat the Titans. And then, well, again, by the way, another sort of just thing, like Zeus has the whole pull the mountain down move, which if he had that in his, in his arsenal, why didn't he just open with that move? I don't know, because I thought that it was sort of like a, I'm going down with this ship sort of thing. Yeah, that seemed like it was. And I'll stay trapped in here with them. Mm-hmm. But then he gets out. Yeah, and and I think <laughs> Athena gets out too, right? Yeah, but she's dead? Question mark. And like she's the only one that he saved. I'm like, I'm pretty sure there are a few other yeah. dead gods down there. But then in, 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 in the sort of end credit scene, I like when I re I rewound and paused because Poseidon is back in that last shot. Like you see Zeus, you see Athena, yeah. you see Poseidon. So maybe he may maybe the other gods somehow get brought back. I don't know. But also, uh, did the Titans get out? Because there are also Titans in that last scene, I'm yeah, pretty I, sure. I get So it's I like, why did you pull down the mountain and, if and, it wasn't going to work? And it, and it also seems like <laughs> the Zeus pulling down the mountain is basically what beats the evil army. Yeah. It's almost like the end of Lord of the Rings where like when Sauron destroys and then like all the, there's like all like the, the ground caves in around on um, where all the orcs are standing, but none of the yep. people... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I thought yeah, was like so very there, convenient. Oh, for sure. But there, there did not seem to be any rules to how the gods. But maybe that's the problem when you work with gods as characters, because at some point they need to have limits mm-hmm. and checks on power. And yeah. 
I think in some parts of this movie, it sort of seemed like there was just like super crazy powerful God that could step in if mm -hmm. he wanted to and fix it with like a snap of his fingers. Yeah. But wasn't going to for uh, reasons. I feel like like Luke Evans is Zeus sort of talks about the like we can't intervene rule as if it's some kind of larger cosmic rule that they all have to follow whether they like it or not but then yeah. when i think it's apollo breaks that and he comes down and just and just saves theseus and his friends and then zeus comes down and he's like you broke the rules man now i gotta kill you yeah which again just seems sort of very like like why is he following this very arbitrary rule because then it also seems like man i feel like you guys really could have used apollo in that last fight but you had to I kill think him. It was, I think it was Ares. Oh, you might have been right. But also, I couldn't really tell them apart. But also, stupid, like, stickling point. Doesn't Poseidon help them out first? Yes, he, like, creates he does. the wave. Yeah. And, and he doesn't get killed. And yeah, and I think they, they, it's like, it's like a, you know, they kind of, they, like, skirt the rules. Or the way they frame it is, like, the gods are like, oh, we got to do something. And then someone looks to Poseidon and is like, see, sure is dangerous this time of year. And Poseidon is like, yeah, it sure is. So, like, I'm going to go do a thing. And I'm, like, helping but not helping. Like, I don't know. It's some sort of, it was like a bylaw or something that, like, how Poseidon got away with that. But, again, like, second point of divine intervention. The humans didn't do it by themselves. They got. Yeah, and to say, like, you know, Zeus's whole training since childhood of Theseus Seems like it's, re and I think Athena says this is like, you're really riding the line here. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty interfering. Yeah, <laughs> you know, turning Theseus into this like ultimate badass. Yeah. Which again, like, how does Zeus know that Theseus is, is going to be this chosen one? There's like, then you're like, if Zeus knows, like, does Zeus know how it's all going to come? He doesn't seem like he does. No, but like, he's doing the choosing, I guess. He's like, I'm training this person to be because he's like the, the best of the one? hellenics or yeah. something like that i guess i don't know yeah it's just kind of i feel like when you think and like tease it out of like what the gods are doing and why like it kind of doesn't make any sense no similarly in terms of motivation actually just generally i think like motivation that's like the big problem of this movie like like a yes. good character needs like a want that audiences kind of understand like it's very clear to the audience like this character wants x and here are the obstacles between them and X. And yeah. this movie is like, what do we want? Like, why is Theseus helping? Why Why is, actually, why is Theseus doing everything that he's doing? Um, Revenge? Because they killed his mom? Yeah, I guess. Mm -hmm. I guess. But then also, like, the gods told him to? Yeah. I guess. Or the oracle tells him mm -hmm. to? I guess he's got like, yeah. Like, does he care? <laughs> he's supposed to be like the savior of his people, but he doesn't really seem to really care about the people. No, the people who were very, very mean to him, by the way, very mean. And like, he uh, fights them in the very beginning mm -hmm. at least. And it's like not included. And then on the flip side, the villain's motivation seems very vague and unconvincing. Uh, Cause yeah. why does he want to release the Titans? He said he has a whole speech about like, in the very beginning where it's like his family died and the gods did nothing. Therefore I hate the gods. So I want to kill the gods <laughs> and to kill the gods. So I'm going to release the Titan and then rule. Like, I don't know. Like it, it sort of seems like what happens after you release the Titans, what's going on here? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's sort of a, an end of the world kind of thing, right? It's like, yeah, 
the world is terrible and it took everything away from me, so I'm going to end it? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I guess yeah, that sort of I makes guess. sense. And it, it, there's also just, like, not a lot. Like, we don't really know who or who this guy is. I think he says that he was once a peasant at some point. It's all just sort of very confusing. And this this, this episode is going to, it's, like, in danger of us just, like, going on a slew of like well but why was that happening i know why this and like (laughs) again does that are we thinking too hard (laughs) you know like like i think we are i mean but i think this movie wants us to think hard but it doesn't really have a lot of food for thought yeah i agree well i sort of wish that the whole minotaur part of it wasn't there (laughs) yeah because i feel like that was really shoehorned in the yeah. very like barest possible way that was like, well, it's a Theseus myth. So I guess we have to have a Minotaur, but it's just a guy in a helmet and the labyrinth is just like the necropolis, like the burial place. Yeah. It's like a very small. It, I got the impression that it was a pretty small labyrinth. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't look like a labyrinth. <laughs> it doesn't look like there's a bit where he, I think he like cuts his foot so he can follow his footsteps on the way back out or something like that. We don't get there. I have no idea actually how big there's sort of a labyrinthy element to that whole building, but I have no sense of how big it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, some of the staircases had sort of like an MC Escher looking like staircases yeah. to nowhere kind of mm-hmm. something, but no, it, it seemed to detract from everything else. Yeah. Uh, Which I guess is like, there's like, there's like two, two points that, that we can talk about then that, that we, we were, where we were going to bring up. And one is that, this this movie is kind of, I said at the beginning, is sort of a collection myth, and there's kind of two sort of unrelated myths that are kind of grafted together and in a very sort of weird way. And then the other is just like the, the Minotaur itself, which we can get into. But like, yeah, like there's the kind of two myths working here are sort of the the Titanomachy, the kind of this war, this you know cosmic war between the gods and then this sort of older generation of immortals called Titans. And then also the Theseus myth, which is, at least in sort of Greek myth, like a completely just sort of separate thing. Separate. And that these are sort of yeah. layered on top of each other in a way that doesn't quite make sense. And I wonder if there, I wonder which came first. Like, did they decide yeah. to name their hero Theseus and then work in the Minotaur stuff or? Yeah. <laughs> well, cause I, I feel like the source for a Titanomachy, if we're, if we're going to talk about sources would be Hesiod. Mm-hmm. So is it eighth century? 8th century poet? 8th, 7th, something like that. I feel like we give his dates like 750, maybe a little later. Yeah, Yeah, that's about right. He's Um, about contemporary with when we think Homer might have been kicking around a little, maybe a little later, but... Yeah, and he his work, the Theogony, on just like the history of the gods, I would say is boring. (laughs) (laughs) You don't like... You mean you don't like lists of the 50 daughters of Nereus? That's just I don't. <laughs> a dozen lines of of just names. That doesn't do it it's, for you? It does not. Colin, it does not. And so I um, I have That's a hard a time. Got like, a Heesiod hater over here. Right? <laughs> I'm sorry. I will not apologize, though. I, I do not enjoy Heesiod. And I, I have trouble thinking that somebody would read it and be like, you know what would be an awesome movie? <laughs> Heesiod. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, it it's... doesn't make sense. <laughs> Yeah, and like bringing like the Titans are a, a thing that I they're one of the more prevailing sort of elements of Greek myth and the idea that like the Titans could get out and then it's I think the second clash of the Titans this is kind of the main thrust is that the, the Titans are busting out and then it sort of means right. the end of civilization 
But yeah, there's it's an odd layering that I'm not sure totally works. I saw another sort of like it was like a red carpet interview with the director and Singh was saying that he actually kind of grew up on Greek mythology, but he didn't really want to make a Greek mythology film. It's just kind of more of a setting, which I think is why that's it, a lot of this sort of seems almost like window dressing in a way sure. that is just kind of like let's just attach it to some familiar names and ideas. Yeah. I mean, really like what he seemed to be really interested in is like this idea of like faith and free will and gods and what if gods were real or not real or something like that. It seems to be like the crux of his end. And then this, this like Titan thing. And then this, this Theseus thing is kind of grafted onto that in a way. Well, yeah, cause I don't, like inherently see a problem with just using the sort of flavor of Mm -hmm. Greek mythology. And it's like, we have characters and their names are sort of reminiscent or just, you know, straight up Theseus. Mm -hmm. And we have a kind of setting and like kind of Greek sounding places like that, that I think is kind of interesting. And it sort of gives it that sort of fantasy world built element. Mm -hmm. But I feel like you have to have a really strong story if you're going to, do the, it that way mm-hmm. and this was so much more visual than story yeah because we, we talked last week about how the perseus myth is kind of your like baseline formula for a generic hero's journey myth and the clash of the titans like is as i think just is a bad representation but generally follows that hero's myth formula maybe a bit for too sure. literally yeah <laughs> i think to its detriment and then this, but this one kind of doesn't like, yeah, I, again, I think this movie, in addition to kind of the plot and like the sort of lack of the, this movie sort of disinterest in plot over sort of visual. And I think this movie also has kind of a disinterest in character mm-hmm. where like we don't, its characters seem just more like, I don't know, they're, they're just sort of placeholders or they're just sort of devices for something. Like they don't seem like, they don't really feel like fleshed out people. And like a lot of them kind of it seem like sort of just live in like a trope world. Like there's, there's sort of a snarky thief comic relief member. There's the Oracle. I'm not really sure what she's about. She's just kind of like a spiritual yeah. guide. I don't know. Like she's, she's almost not yet. The, the villain is almost like wrapped in like, my family died. Now I'm going to seek vengeance on the world. They all seem very impressionistic or like the word I'm looking for. They don't, they're not like fully fleshed out people. They're just like. Well, yeah, they're like sketches. Yes, exactly. Characters. And I think that does sort of work if we're looking at this as say a Renaissance painting mm-hmm. where you have, you know, identifiable sketches. It's of- the impression of an idea. Yeah, of who people are. It's like you can usually identify saints or different angels by what they hold or what they wear. Mm-hmm. And we kind of see that. It's like, well, this guy has the sword. He must be the hero. Mm-hmm. You know, this girl is draped in a red cloak. She must be the female protagonist or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy has a scary helmet or a mask mm-hmm. or scars. They must be the villain. So that I, I see that from like a Renaissance painting perspective, but it. The Renaissance painting is not a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The story is not there. And which also kind of, which I think translates not only just like these characters sort of on their own don't really have a lot of inner life to them in a way that mm-hmm. sort of feels meaningful or relatable or like endearing. They, these characters like, yeah, there's there's not a lot of innerness, but there's also, that also translates into like very little chemistry between any mm-hmm. of the characters. Like it doesn't seem like Theseus and his like band of brothers really even like each other, like these former no. captives that he has. Not I'm either. not sure why that horse thief guy 
sticks Stravos, is that his name? Um, yes. Something like that. Like, why he sticks around, like, where he suddenly, like, decide, like, why he suddenly decides to, like, grow a spine. And then really the one, the, the bit of chemistry that bugs me the most is there is, like, no chemistry between Frida Pinto and Henry None. Cavill. Which, like, kind of bums me out because I think they're they're both, like, very good actors. Yes. And have, like, I've seen them in other things have great chemistry with people. Yes. And it seems like very hard to be, particularly I'm thinking, to be across from Henry Cavill and not have like any chemistry because like <laughs> that dude just like radiates charm in a lot of ways. Right. Like if you see like the man from Uncle, like it's like he's so. Okay, yes. I was going to talk about this because I do think that Henry Cavill works better when he can have an element of humor. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking the man from Uncle in which he sort of plays like a smarmy yeah. character is kind of a smart ass and that works so well and there he has great chemistry with everybody in that movie mm-hmm. and i think like the witcher too to a certain degree he has yeah. this like deadpan grumpy old man yeah persona which <sighs> works mm-hmm. i i haven't <laughs> but, seen it yet but I, it looks like in um, there's the enola holmes thing that just came out on netflix oh, yeah. and he's I've in that and he's like yeah. sort of a very, I think he's like a very endearing Sherlock Holmes, which some people are like, that's not really Sherlock Holmes, but like, but yeah, Henry Cavill just like radiates this kind of charm. And then the, like I mentioned that there was one scene that really like killed this movie for me. I mean, a lot of things kind of don't work <laughs> in this movie, but it's that the like sex scene between Frida Pinto and mm-hmm. it is like the least erotic sex scene I have ever seen. It like it nothing has made me want to take a vow of celibacy more than to see like <laughs> it seems like somebody is off sta- off stage like pointing a gun at the actors and being like do the love scene because neither of them seem like they, they seem like they're just like going through the motions yeah. of the characters and it just seems so weird and I don't get it like they're so they've known each other for like a day but then there's a bit where the oracle has a line about like she's like you're right the visions are a curse i hate having the visions and then it's just like is she just doing this to like not have visions anymore and which is like a weird element to that yeah. mm-hmm. i it felt very unnecessary i guess yes. well because it's sort of the um love at first sight trope where mm-hmm. it's like these characters have known each other for like two seconds mm-hmm. and suddenly in the next scene they're having sex and it feels like an even farther jump and it's just as jarring because they didn't seem to really have personalities to begin with mm-hmm. so it doesn't doesn't really mesh together at all but i do know that she had a body double for the sex scene oh really mm-hmm. so i don't know i don't know how that works in when you film something like that but i can't imagine it's a comfortable experience but it didn't work <laughs> no it, it felt i was uncomfortable yes <laughs> in that in that scene for many reasons also i think because they're in theseus's like childhood bedroom but yeah it's not great it's not great. So, so it's 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 all sort of very strange and then there there seems to be the character motivation seems kind of very thin the mm. like larger rules this film is playing with seem very thin yeah and it's just kind of draped in this I don't know, these like questions that never, it is like the central questions and issues that this movie brings up, i.e. about like fate and free will and the gods and stuff, aren't even resolved in the film itself. Right. Because then there's that ending that seems to be, I almost like, is this like setting up a sequel? What's going on? Because then it's like, we need you, Akamis, to get ready because there's this war going down in heaven. Right. Which is just like, like that, that seems like so weird. But also how, 
like crappy is that it's like theseus dies becomes a god maybe has an apotheosis and then is like drafted to fight this battle in heaven (laughs) everybody everybody knows that when you die you're actually just drafted into the skeleton army it's almost (laughs) halloween here as we're recording this so get ready for the skeleton army jokes yes but yeah he, 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 he gets i guess he does die and apotheosizes but I'm not even sure. I guess he was brave, but what did Theseus actually accomplish? Other than really just kind of, he killed the king. He killed Mickey Rourke after Mickey Rourke basically accomplished what he set out to do. He didn't yeah. stop Mickey Rourke. He didn't. Theseus didn't stop the Titans. Nope. The Titans got out and the, and the gods stopped them. And then the gods battle with the Titans destroyed Mickey Rourke's army. So that's the, the sort of problem because it almost seems like Theseus was, the, everything Theseus did was kind of irrelevant. Yep. Maybe or maybe not. No, because I mean, he finds, what is it, the Epirus bow, the like bow that has the big powerful bomb arrows on it. Yeah. But then he loses it. Instantly. Like, yeah. Instantly. Like, had Theseus not done anything, Hyperion might have never found that bow. Right. So he like is the cause, which maybe is what the Oracle was saying in the beginning, question mark, because she like, I see you with the bow and Hyperion and mm-hmm. but he basically like gives it to him mm-hmm. for all intents by the purposes. way yeah another weird nipple he, he, he gets he gets it to him by that like fetch hyena thing I know. that was awesome <laughs> which also in like the next scene I was also really confused because like there's a scene where somebody he basically has like a German shepherd that one of the characters in 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 the evil king's court seems to be like this like beast master guy who can like maybe talk with animals or something it's unclear because at okay. one point he basically acts like he the either the king asks him to say what he saw and the beastmaster narrates the whole scene about the god coming down and saving Theseus. And then either because he either saw it through the bird's eye or the bird told him or something. Sorry. Yeah, the original I, the original confusion sticking point that I have was like it seems like there's one scene where like the thing, the animal that grabs that bow and runs off is like a hyena. Hy- yeah, it's like a hyena. And then like Absolutely. the other and like the other scenes, they just have like a German shepherd. Did they? Was the hyena like not working out? <laughs> were they the same? An, were they supposed to be the same animal? Are there two different animals? Does he have a hyena and a German shepherd, or was one supposed to be the other? Because I am deeply confused about that. I have no idea, and I uh, feel like there is no answer. <laughs> I don't know. Other weird things. I do think it was setting up a sequel, though. I think that's what they wanted. This movie much. did fairly well, I think, box office wise. It let's see, the budget was seventy five million, and it box office twenty two or uh, two hundred sorry two hundred twenty six point nine million. So almost two hundred twenty seven million dollars. Seems right, like a pretty right. good return. Yeah. I don't know if Tarzan Singh didn't want to do it. Had no ideas. Like nobody was there to take it doesn't seem like a movie that really screams for a sequel. No. I think this movie kind of, this movie is sort of a movie that everyone, I suspect, sort of forgot about. Yes. I would say it didn't have the sort of lasting, it didn't have like the lasting cultural impact that like, say, 300 300 had, which was pretty big. Mm -hmm. Nor was it really as memorable, I think, just thinking of the other movies we've talked about in this run of like early aught or like sort of 2000 to 2010 Sword and Sandal movie. Like Troy seems more memorable Alexander is also memorable, but mostly because it everybody thought it was so boring. Yeah. And Clash of the Titans had a sequel, but this movie kind of, it seems like this movie almost like everybody forgot it existed. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you have any other like thematic 
points. I think I've said everything I think I thought about this movie. Yeah, same. So, oh, I have the one. Yeah, the other part is like just like the weird. We were talking earlier about the kind of the the weird tension between this movie sort of setting itself in this like highly fantastical, almost surreal environment. And then moments of like weird, random, almost like random adherences to realism. And I think the Minotaur plays into that as well. Cause it's like, For there's sure. clearly all sorts of magical stuff happening, but then we're just gonna, we're almost gonna go the like Troy direction and like literalize or like realize the Minotaur as just yeah. like some dude. Right. And then later in like the, there's like that sarcophagus at the end. And then it's re-represented as Theseus fighting like an actual bull man person. Yeah. Which... I mean, maybe if they had just decided to do like the Theseus myth and we're mm-hmm. like, there, there is this like creature that we can sort of go back and historicize as a scary dude in a mm-hmm. scary helmet. And that was sort of the big bad. And that was the main arc mm-hmm. that I would, uh, that would be more interesting. But just he, the he, fact it, that it was sort of shoehorned in yeah. as an aside mm-hmm. was kind of just disappointing, I guess. Yeah, it was a shame. I think one thing I actually I did sort of remark. I, I did almost like the the like atmospheric feel of that Minotaur fight, where there was a bit like I thought it did a good job getting the anxiety of I feel like what it would be like to be in a minute be in a labyrinth with a Minotaur of sure. like just the kind of like the idea of like we're like I'm in this like sort of cramped dark space and there's something huge really close yeah. but I don't know where it is which I think is like a, I mean maybe there's a good I think it might have been done. But of like, you know, a, a minotaur horror, you know, of like that's sort of a horror element. Yeah. Because I think being sure. being in a labyrinth with a minotaur sounds like a truly, it's like multiple phobias compounding into one. Yes. And the minotaur is going to eat you, right? Yeah. Like that's what he does. Yeah, so yeah. That's he, he eats people. Even scarier is mm-hmm. like there's perhaps if we're going to try to, you know, realize it, some sort of freaky cannibal person. Yeah, that adds another layer of horror that I think could have been really cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then there's also the Minotaur scene also seems like he's just like another case. And like a lot of things of like little plot holes of like decisions people make that don't make any sense of like why, mm-hmm. why if, if, if Theseus is like so important to this whole thing for, from early on, why does Mickey Rourke only send the Minotaur guy after him to that village? Right. <laughs> like why is it so necessary that the that the peasants in the beginning not march out with everybody else in the first day yeah it's just like there's like little things that kind of don't make any sense do you have any like other good fun facts about this one because i'm Are exhausted in- on like the the theme level oh yeah I'm, I'm ready for fun facts okay so uh we talked about sort of like the weird the weird specificities of like 1228 bc the couple's peninsula I think this is an interesting film to think about, regardless of myth and history, to think about in the arc that is Henry Cavill. Because sure. this this was, I think, kind of his break. He was basically an unknown before this movie. And I think the the studio itself was kind of nervous about him. And then he got cast as Superman. It was, it's funny because, like, he was an unknown. I had no idea who he was. But it turned out he was, like, a super bankable star. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he'd been in, like, a few little things. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. what was all before that but in the same sort of like how in a different universe who was it sam worthington like could have been a a big name star it's like this in this universe yeah. henry cavill is the big name star <laughs> oh he actually uh, henry cavill's been in a lot of stuff before this some smaller movies yeah he had bit roles in like 
the Tudors, I want to say. He was in the Tristan and Isolde movie in 2006. Oh, yeah. He had long hair. I remember that. He was also in Stardust. Oh, I think I remember. I think he's the <laughs> obstacle boyfriend in Stardust. He's the, like, pompous. He does. He has the little mustache. It's so good. Yeah, he, he's like the pompous guy that the original love interest is yep. like ends up marrying yep. or something like that. That's funny. Another, this movie is another, we, every time we, we get to these movies, we, we notice these like weird parallels yeah. of like actors. And this is again, where like actors like sort of have like weird, like weirdly pair up or like appear in sort of similarly themed movies. Because the one that, that jumped out to me was Kellen Lutz was Poseidon in this movie, who for a second, for whatever reason, he kind of reminds me of Taylor Lautner. Well, they were both at Twilight, so... Oh, that's right, because he was the the older brother in yeah. Twilight. <laughs> yeah, so he's Poseidon in this movie, and then in three years' time, something like that, he's going to be Hercules. We mentioned Luke Evans, who was <laughs> Apollo a year prior as and in Clash of the Titans, and now he's Zeus. Which is kind, kind of... It, yeah, what do you think about like the the, the design of the gods? I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> that they all have to wear those kind of gold miniskirts? Um, I mean, visually, I guess it's supposed to be f- like fun and dramatic, but it just looks like a bad Halloween costume to me. Like their helmets look plastic uh, and it's maybe supposed to be like ethereal and like shocking and like how clean they look because everybody else is so dirty and filthy and brown. And they're mm-hmm. all like bright and shiny. Yeah, but it just makes it look fake. They wear those like absurd helmets uh, oh, or like hats. Like they're 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 regular like day to day. Is like they're basically sort of mostly naked, and then they have some kind of like big thematic hat. Yeah, and it's all gold. <sighs> so weird. Yeah, it, it was an interesting design. Yeah, Luke Evans has that kind of. He's got that little mustache thing. <laughs> I didn't mind him as Zeus. I thought that was fine. Um, yeah. But like the rest of the gods are just, they look exactly the same. They Yeah, all I have no idea. Same. With the exception of Athena, because she, she's the, the one girl. girl god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of odd. It's also interesting just that they like, the, the, the pantheon seemed very limited. Like there, there seemed to be some notable absences. But also, like you said, I couldn't really tell who was who. No, not at all. And yeah, the helmets I thought were really distracting and maybe sort of prevented any Mm -hmm. further characterization of Mm -hmm. them. But then they like changed helmets in the final scene. Yeah, because at the end, they're all wearing the like matching outfit, which is basically like the gold variation on the Titans outfit. The Titans have like the red mask and the Titans seem to be covered in some kind of like chalk or something like that. Yeah. And then... The, yeah, the gods have, like, just sort of a gold version. But like you said, actually, all of the, like, arms and armor kind of looks plastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, particularly, like, that, like the, those, like, sort of silvery blue matching uniforms that everybody wears at the end. Like, I think there's yeah. one scene where somebody, like, takes takes one of them off and you can just see yes. it, like, flopping around. It just flops. It looks like foam and it's it's just so very clearly it's like yeah like you're right it's like something you get at like a like a spirit halloween it's like it's like like the 300 or like roman soldier armor it's just kind of like a little flimsy plastic thing yeah yeah kind of strange oh speaking of other parallels well no you mentioned this one yeah so joseph morgan who plays lysander was philotus in alexander (laughs) i think he's the one who gets like speared in the gut or something he's like one of the ones that's executed Oh yeah, he's he's the one that he's the conspiracy guy, right? Yeah, that yeah. they because I'm he's the one that like nobody really defended Philotus, but nobody really liked Philotus. That's the like <laughs> yep. that's the only bit I, I really remember. <laughs> yeah. 
He's just one of those like uh, nameless faces in the background mm -hmm. of Alexander's entourage. Yeah, he's sort of a pitiful character in this movie. Yeah, he's the worst. I mean, yeah, he's like this weird, like a lot of horrible things happen to him, but he's he's like, he's an odd character. Again, he also feels like kind of a trope, like a sort yeah. of, but there's always like a traitor character who has to get his comeuppance. Well, yeah, because it's like he was mean in the beginning, but the terrible things that happened to him, like I didn't feel like, I was like, I didn't hate you that much. Yeah. <laughs> Because I guess he, he's a deserter, so there's, like, no... So I guess he deserves the worst or something. That's the sort of... I think that's this movie's logic. I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Speaking of, we kind of ended on... Because we talked about this with Clash of Titans. We were, we were thinking... We were sort of saying, like, we don't really want another Perseus movie. No. Would you do... Would you take this this prime or is this just too out there to like to to, to take something out? Because we like the other movies like Troy and Three Hundred and Alexander have like a historical basis that you could spin something out of that we talked about, right. like a twelve episode Netflix special. But Ooh. this movie, I don't think I would do any sort of movie or mini series or anything about the Titanomachy or anything that was involving Hesiod because it's yeah. just a list. It's just a list of names. And unless you it would have... feel like a lecture because yeah. it's a lot of because in in Hesiod it's like X you know so and so begat so and so and so and so and so and so united and begat so and so yeah there's a lot of that it's a, but yes there's no story there there's no mm -hmm. plot really mm -hmm. and so I think uh, just like Perseus I'm not super excited about any sort of Theseus story although I think there are opportunities for interesting things to like be attached to a Theseus story like Ariadne um, mm -hmm. who originally helps him in the labyrinth but then he like abandons her on an island right yeah yeah and yeah, then he, she like marries Dionysus eventually yep. in one of the versions mm -hmm. like that's a fun story <laughs> yeah Theseus is also he's He's another one of, we talked about like a lot of Greek heroes kind of do a lot of bad things. Yeah. Theseus is, a, is another good example. He's got, there's a lot of like Theseus being kind of a jerk. He, I was reminded of two things. One is the Oracle's name, Frida Pinto, the love interest character is named Phaedra, which, which is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of Theseus's wives, but she's a, attached to a whole different tradition. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting that they went with that because Ariadne is is usually that's like his sort of first wife. Right. Not only, no, not even wife. But she, yeah. Ariadne is the one that helps him with the Minotaur and the labyrinth, mm -hmm. and he leaves on an island subsequently. Yep, real uh, chivalrous move. Yeah, stand up. But guy. he has almost in a way that like this is a different take. But one of my favorite, not favorite, he kind of sucks. But like a character that's <laughs> sort of interesting to think about is Pirithous who's Theseus's like best friend and is kind of the dynamic between them is Pirithos always drags Theseus down into some bad, like he is like the, he is like that friend that gets you into trouble. And the one that I particularly think about is Pirithos has this idea that he really, he wants to marry or that he should marry Persephone, Hades, wife. And so they go down to the underworld together to kidnap Persephone basically. And I think it's Hades. Somebody tricks them into sitting on this bench and then they sit on the bench and it's a bench that once you sit on it, you can't get back up from. And so they get stuck on the bench and they're stuck on the bench together until Heracles comes down on unrelated business. I think he's there to get Cerberus and he, he sees them. And then he, I think Heracles takes Theseus out and, but he like rips off part of Theseus's butt that stays attached to yep, the bench. Yep. <laughs> 
So like, I, I know I'm not sure that would be super marketable, but I would really like to see that myth. I forgot about that story. I think that has like such good potential for like a really weird funky buddy comedy for like you know me and my best friend going to the underworld yeah a a very different flavor if you wanted to have a comedy based on myth but like he's also (laughs) the one i think he he brings theseus to the wedding of hippodamea where the the centaur the battle of the centaurs breaks out he's there at that he's just kind of yeah he's just like this friend of theseus but i think it's just like this fun trope to talk about like he is just constantly getting theseus in trouble right this is like a Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. <laughs> but it's- yeah. Or, yeah. It's like, it has that like, but like, it seems it has like almost the energy of like an early Apatow movie oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. of like, yeah. Like Seth Rogen and James Franco just kind of like getting into trouble. <laughs> like a pineapple express. Mm-hmm. That would be really fun. Yeah. So Parathos is just like this, his like goo, this Theseus is sort of goofy friend who just kind of gets him into trouble. There's other stories about it, but but none of I can't remember them any of them at the time. Yeah, I mean Theseus is again like he's a hero that you could easily he's a Greek hero that you could easily vilify for sure in various kinds of ways. Yeah. Vis a vis the Titanomachy, I don't know, like you said, it would be kind of a lot of, it would be a very exposition heavy thing. Yeah. A young maybe I don't know, there's a young Zeus movie in there somewhere. Sure. Zeus's rise to power, but I don't know. But I see like back go a couple different ways and I feel like if you're gonna sort of stick to the very god power uh, supernaturally part of it would be really weird and funky because gods were eating each other and like then threw each other up and so that could be Mm -hmm. strange but fun Uh, but on the other side you could probably historicize that I guess story not necessarily about the eating but sort of a young god overthrowing an older god in a more socio-political, like, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, high stakes politics kind of show. Be kind yeah. of fun. Almost Game of Thronesy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this this movie, I think my the verdict on this movie is just kind of interesting at the surface level. But then as we tried to dig into it, I'm not coming up with a lot of no. like I kind of exhaust I kind of exhausted a lot of my thinking points sooner than I thought I would. So <laughs> makes me want to rewatch the fall yeah uh, which which we can do yeah so yeah should uh i mean i guess this movie sort of maybe inadvertently led to a henry cavill superman but which i also don't love but it's fine (laughs) (laughs) so uh you ready to put this one back in the ground yes i am bury it all right so thank you again for listening and we'll be Back again soon with our next episode is likely going to be the 2014 Hercules starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Woo-hoo. which has a, li- a little bit more life and energy, I think, than this movie. But we'll see. Maybe it will, uh, we won't come up short. So until next time, thank you for listening and bye. bye.